30 verses 1 through 9. If you uh, need a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew there in front of you, and you can find this passage on page 374. Proverbs 30 verses 1 through 9. The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, his utterance. This man delivered to Ilthiel, to Ilthiel and Ucal. Now, I just want to say this before I read the next passage. This is not necessarily a personal testimony, okay? <laughs> and I say that for my own family here because they will make fun of me later. <laughs> Verse 2, surely I am more stupid than any man and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One who has ascended into heaven or descended, who has gathered the wind in his fists, who has bound the waters in a garment, who has established all the ends of the earth. What is his name and what is his son's name, if you know? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die, Remove falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty, pro, uh, poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that as Pastor Bruce comes to uh, break it apart for us, to, to help us to understand its meaning, that you would give him the words to speak, give us the ears to hear. And Father, we look forward to how you're going to change our lives this day through your word, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kevin, and instrumentalists, appreciate that very much. Hey, let me just also encourage you to take notice and... Uh, uh, what's going on tonight in our church, and that is we have Ignite Praise and Prayer that will be going on at 5 o'clock in our multi-purpose room, and uh, we'll have refreshments and nursery provided, and uh, if you're not familiar with our Ignite, it's, it's something we began a couple of years ago for our church family, uh, about once a quarter, and uh, where we take time as a church family to come together and praise God and to pray as a church body. And uh, in January, we always use that time to present our church budgets as well. And so tonight we'll present the, the general budget and the missions budget, kind of give a report on that. And then we'll take time to pray as a church body. And it's open to anyone and everyone. We encourage, obviously, especially those of you that are members here at LifeBridge to participate. And nursery is available through, uh, I, I believe, third... Uh, I, four years old or something like that, talk to my wife, but there's nursery provided, and, and then we got snacks afterwards, and it's normally about an hour, hour and a half in length, and so let me encourage you uh, to participate tonight and, uh, and support our church in that way. Well, this morning we are concluding our series on money matters with the contentment principle. Over the course of January, we've been looking at different stewardship principles for Christ followers, and today we want to conclude with the contentment principle. Each year on the 4th of July, the Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Company sponsors a hot dog eating contest. How many of you are, are you familiar with this? 
You've seen it. How many have actually seen it on TV? They show this contest on TV. It's unbelievable. Last year, Joey Jaws Chestnut powered his way to a 10th title with a record-breaking win, shoving water-soaked buns and wiggly franks into his mouth on a hot, sunny day on Coney Island boardwalk. He downed 72 hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes to beat his own record and hoist the mustard belt for a tenth time. Wow. The second runner-up only managed, only managed to eat 62 hot dogs. According to news report, Chestnut received a prize of $10,000 for his eating performance and consumed over 20,000 calories during his eating spree. Now, I imagine that few of us here are in danger of eating 72 hot dogs in one day, let alone seven a minute for 10 minutes straight. And yet, we live in a world where enough is never enough. Many people devote their lives to acquiring more wealth, more possessions, more stuff, more of everything or anything, living with a focus only on the temporal. And as a result, rather than living in contentment, they live in a perpetual state of dissatisfaction. Ever since the, the beginning of creation, most people have never been fully satisfied with anything on earth. We always want something more, something different. If we're young, we want to be older. If we're old, we wish we were younger. If it's old, we want something new. If it's new, we want something newer. If it's small, we want something bigger. If it's big, we want something really big. And if we have $100, we wish we had $200. And if we have $200, we want $500. If we have an apartment, we want a house. If we have a house, we want a bigger house or a new house. If we have a job, we dream of a better job with a better boss, better co-workers, and better benefits. If we're single, we dream of being married. And if we're married, we want, well, you can finish that yourself. <laughs> now, none of this is really unusual in any way. After all, we were all born discontented, and some of us stay that way all of our lives. Unless Jesus intervenes. Unless Jesus grabs hold of our heart and does a work in our heart. And we find contentment in Him. And we begin to embrace the contentment principle. Which brings us now to the prayer of Agor. The prayer of who? Agor. I know it's not a prayer you've probably heard of. In fact, his name sounds like he belongs in the Shrek movie. His name means to gather or to harvest. Now, you can learn an awful lot about a person by listening to him or her pray. And most important things about Agor are revealed in a prayer that he prays, which is recorded for us here in Proverbs chapter 30. Notice again what he prays in verses 7 through 9. He calls out to God and he says, Two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. 
Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food you prescribe or allot to me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Now before we look at the contentment principle that is found in this prayer, let's first find out a little more about the man behind this astonishing prayer. Who was Agor? Well, we find in the beginning portion of Proverbs chapter 30 some insights as to who this individual was. Notice, first of all, that he was a wise teacher. We know he was wise because your sayings or your words don't make it into the wisdom book of Proverbs if you're not a wise man. We also know from verse 1 that Agor did not keep his wisdom to himself. He shared it with others, specifically Ithiel and Yukal, who were probably some of his students. What's interesting is that Ithiel's name means God has arrived, and Yukal's name means devoured. And if you think about these two names in the context of his prayer, the context of contentment or stewardship, what would we say about our attitude toward money and possessions? Would we say God has arrived as, so as to rule and control this area of our lives? Or would we say money and possessions has devoured us? Something to consider. Second of all, Augur was a humble man. Notice his testimony of himself in Proverbs 30, verses 2 through 3, and I... I uh, I, I enjoyed uh, Jim's comment about these first two verses here very much, and I, I ditto the comments. Notice what he says. Surely I am more stupid than any man and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learn wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Now, at first, this seems rather like a contradiction, but we must understand what Agor in, understands, and that is, that genuine humility is the only path of wisdom. As one commentator said, unless a man stoops, he can never enter the door of wisdom. He must become a fool that he may be wise. Augur then asks five questions in verse 4 to illustrate his genuine humility before God in assessing that his wisdom his own wisdom is very limited in that only God is truly wise. And so he is a humble man, was a humble man. And then the third thing we learn about him is that Agor trusted God's word. Look what he says about God's word in verses 5 and 6. He says, every word of God is pure. In other words, every word of God is true. It's undefiled. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he reprove you and you be found a liar. Now, why does God trust God's word? Because the word of God, in contrast to human wisdom, is a reliable source of truth. It is God's truth, and we can trust it. And then the fourth thing we learn about Agor is that he honored God's name. Agur's prayer is motivated by his relationship to God. His whole desire in praying this prayer that we're going to unpack here in just a minute is to glorify God. It's to honor the name of God and protect the name of God. 
And so now that we have a glimpse, a little bit of insight into who this man was, the man behind the prayer, let's begin looking at what he prayed. And what we see in this prayer is that Agor recognized four truths that shaped his prayer from beginning to end. And it's these same four truths that we want to apply in our own lives as we seek to live in contentment. So notice this, number one, contentment in the prayer of Agor. Number one, all good things come from God. All good things come from God. Did you notice who Agor is addressing in his prayer? It's God. Now don't pass over that. That's rather important. He says two things I request of you. The you is a pronoun in reference to the Lord. Why? Because Agor understands the simple truth that all good things come from God the Father. James explains this truth in James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. Agor recognized that if he was to receive anything worthwhile in this life, he must go to the one and only source who has the resources to give it, and that is our Creator God. James tells us in James 4.2 that you do not have because you do not ask. And it's so easy to think that we can, we can go through life and we can just make it on our own. That we are self-sufficient. That we are independent of everyone, including God. But the fact of the matter is, the reality is that what I have does not come through my own efforts. What I have does not come from my boss or the company I work for. What I have is given as a gift from God. And my proper response should be to acknowledge that. And to do so with a heart of thankfulness. To acknowledge that I am the steward and God is the owner of everything that I have. This is why Agur humbly submits his life to God in prayer. He recognizes that he is at the very mercy of God, the Creator. Here's a prayer for us to pray. Pray it in your own words, put it in your own words, but something like this. Lord, cause me to remember that everything I have is a gift from you and to be thankful for what you have provided me. The second truth that we learn from Augur's prayer is that material and monetary wealth is temporary. It's temporary. Notice what he prays next in verse 7. He says, Deprive me not before I die. In other words, Augur recognizes something here, that life is short. Life on this earth is short. It is temporary. When it comes to contentment, Augur understands that money and possessions are only for this life and therefore temporary. I mean, how many Christmas toys you bought for your kids are already broke? Right? Maybe something you bought for yourself is already broke. We see the evidence of this all over. Even here in our church, we're, we're having to replace a soundboard. Why? Because it's now going out on us. After 20 years, we're losing channels, and we're having problems with it, and we're having to replace it. We, you look at our parking lot. It has in, it's in, it's, there's some places where it's cracking, it's crumbling, it's falling apart. There's, there's a hole over here in it. We, there, there's repair work that needs to be done. We need to reseal it. 
We need to address it. Why? Because that's the nature of things here on earth. And Jesus confirms this truth in Matthew 6, 19, when he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But Augur also understands that although money and possessions are temporary, our attitude towards them can affect our eternity. And that's why Augur asked God to answer his prayer before he dies. In other words, before it's too late. Unlike Augur, this is what the rich farmer in Luke chapter 12 didn't understand about his wealth and his possessions. That is all temporary. That you can't take it with you when you die, and yet it can impact our eternity. Here's a prayer we might want to consider praying. Lord, remind me that whatever financial and material need or surplus I am dealing with today, that it is only temporary. Cause me to focus on and work toward the eternal reward that is waiting for me when I get to be with you. There's a third truth that Agor recognized in his prayer, and that is that deception can negatively influence my perspective on wealth. Augur prays in the beginning of verse 8, Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Now perhaps you're thinking, what does falsehood and lies have to do with contentment? And I would suggest to you that it has everything to do with contentment. Because one of Satan's greatest weapons in keeping people chained in the bondage of discontentment is deception. And this deception can negatively influence our perspective on money and possessions. The falsehood and the lies in Augur's prayer are the deceptiveness of both wealth and poverty. Think about it. Do you consider yourself poor or rich? Now that's a loaded question. Most of us would never admit that we're, quote, rich. Why? Because most people, and I'm sure we fit in that category, we tend to compare our wealth with the person who always has more than us. And yet, by the world's standards, we are all relatively, quote, rich. The greatest deception of wealth is that it promises happiness, and yet in the end, it never delivers. It, it promises happiness, but it brings disappointment. Our culture has duped us into thinking that having more money, having more things, more stuff, will make me more happy, more important, and more secure. But Jesus tells us in Luke 12, 15, that one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. This is the truth that we must renew our minds with. This is the truth that must shape our perspective about wealth, about money and possessions. In fact, Jesus goes on and he gives us this perspective about money and possessions when he says in the same chapter, Luke 12, 29 and 31, he says, And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows what, that you need these things, but seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. 
Paul, later on, the Apostle Paul declares this perspective in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 2, when he writes, If you then were raised with Christ, that is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, a Christ follower, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. You see, there's a reason God wants us to live in contentment. There's a reason God warns us about making the acquisition of wealth and possessions our ultimate goal here on this earth. God knows that doing so will only create heartache. It will only create pain. The unending pursuit of wealth, it will ruin families, it ruins marriages, and it will ultimately ruin you. And this is why Agor prayed that God would remove from him the falsehood and the lies that this world promotes about money and possessions. Here's a prayer we, we could pray. Lord, help me to simply recognize the deceptions of this world. When it comes to wealth, when it comes to money and possessions, help me to live by your truth that is found in your word. The last truth that Argo recognized Number four is that financial extremes can create spiritual dangers in my life. We find this truth at the heart of Agor's prayer. Notice it one more time in verses 8 through 9. Look at it with me again. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. There's the two financial extremes. And then he prays, feed me with the food you prescribe for me. And now he tells us why. He's given us insight why he's praying these three requests. Lest I be full and deny you, Lord, and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I personally, I find this prayer absolutely astonishing. Agor recognizes something about himself. He is self-aware. He recognizes his weaknesses in life. He recognizes that to forget God when life is too easy, that is one weakness. It's a temptation. And the other one is to turn away from God when life is too hard. Agor recognizes the spiritual dangers when living in these two financial extremes. And so he petitions God with three requests here. Let's look at each one in detail so that we can apply it to our own lives. Notice the first request. We could summarize it this way. Lord, do not give me poverty. That's his first request to God Almighty. Lord, do not give me poverty. Now, that's a pretty understandable request. Most of us could probably identify that with that request. I mean, who wants to be poor? Now, what is poverty, though? Well, if you go to our government, the U.S. government actually has a definition of poverty. Every year they come out with the, the poverty line. Uh, and this year for 2017, or I should say last year, the U.S. government defined poverty as if you make less than $24,600 a year and you have a family of four, you are 
in a state of poverty, according to the U.S. government. I would suggest that we ought to go to God's word, though, and define poverty. Because God has something to say about it as well. And without doing a full study on it, let me just tell you that the Bible, according to the Bible, poverty is defined as simply this. Not having food to eat, clothes to wear, or shelter to sleep under. God says if we have those things, we can learn to be content. So why does Augur then ask God not to give him poverty? Well, his request is motivated by something. His heart for this request is a desire to glorify God. And so understand here that this prayer, Lord, don't give me poverty and don't give me riches. Give me what my food is you prescribe for me. It's all built on this foundation, this motivation that he wants to glorify God with his life. The reason for this request, if you want to fill in your notes here, of do not give me poverty, is that if I live in poverty, I may be tempted to dishonor God. Now that's quite honest on his part. Augur's prayer is not self-motivated, but rather it is God-motivated. And perhaps Augur had been poor himself, we don't know. The scriptures doesn't tell that, uh, tell that to us. Maybe Augur has seen firsthand the temptations that are associated with poverty. Because the two temptations that Augur lists with poverty is this. One is to steal, and the other is to profane the name of God. And Augur doesn't want to fall into those temptations. And so he cries out to God, Do not give me poverty. So I may avoid this. Number two, the second request is, Lord, do not give me riches. Now I would venture to say that all of us are ready to pray against poverty. But who here is ready to pray against riches? It's rather unusual. It seems most unnatural. And yet this is exactly what Augur prays. But why? Why would he pray to God, do not give me riches? Well, notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. The reason for this request is, if I live in plenty or if I live in riches, I may be tempted to deny God. So in poverty, he may be tempted to dishonor God. In other words, profane his name, either verbally or profane it by stealing, but here in the state of riches and plenty, he may be tempted to deny God. You see, Augur recognizes something here that we, we as a church family and we as individuals, we need to recognize that if he has too much, he could easily be tempted to cease depending on God and therefore deny God altogether. Augur even gives in its an example of how we will deny God. We'll be tempted to say to ourselves, ah, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Now may I suggest that while we probably never verbalize that out loud, we are tempted to think that all the time. 
we look into our own situation and we're tempted to think, man, what can the Lord do in this? Who's the Lord? This is the same question Job says, the wicked ask in Job 21.15, who is the Almighty that we should serve Him? This question reflects extreme arrogance. It reflects self-dependence. It's an attitude that says, I don't need God. I have everything I want and more, and I'm trusting in myself to work through this situation or whatever it is. What's interesting is Moses actually warned the children of Israel that riches, that possessions, money, and even our houses can cause us to forget God and quit serving God. Listen to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes, which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, in other words, material possessions, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, checking, savings, 401 accounts, you name it. And all that you have is multiplied. When your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, your salvation in other words, then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. In other words, we're saying to ourselves, who is the Lord? This is the spiritual danger of riches. Yes, living in a country with such prosperity like America, listen, it can be a blessing, but it can also create some real spiritual dangers in our relationship with God and His church. While most of us would never, never describe ourselves as, quote, rich, I think most of us would have to confess that we live relatively comfortable lives. We have a place to live. We have a car to drive. It may break down. It may need repairs. We have clothes to wear. We have food to eat. So what's the problem? I mean, it sounds like we, we are living somewhat comfortable. The problem is that it's harder for people living in this kind of prosperity to see the need for God in their lives. In fact, it's interesting, Jesus talked about this very spiritual danger in Matthew 19, verse 24. When he told his disciples, and again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Whoa. Now please understand, Jesus did not say that it's impossible, just harder. Much harder. And it's not harder because the door of salvation is closed off to the rich. No, no, no. Or that the door is pulled too tightly for the rich to squeeze through. No, no, no. 
it's harder because the rich tend to trust in themselves and their own resources and to make it in life apart from God. I like how one author has summarized this problem of riches when he says, too often the more we receive from God, the less he receives from us. And as we prosper in the flesh, we are impoverished in the spirit. This is why Augur asked God, Lord, do not give me riches. Because I don't know that I can handle the temptations that come with it. Because it's too easy to give into the temptation to forsake God in order to gain and keep the money I have. And I always want more. In essence, it's too easy to say in my heart, who is the Lord? Because I tend to think I am doing pretty good on my own. But that presents another problem. Because as we said before, most of us here are already rich. So what should we do? Well, God does not leave us wondering. God actually has a word for us. You go to the New Testament. And through the Apostle Paul, in his writings to Timothy, Timothy's pastoring a church of believers, much like ours here this morning. And Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, I want you to encourage the congregation of believers, these Christ followers, and I want you to tell them this. I want you to command them this. Listen to his words. In 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, he says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. If you're rich, God says, your money and possessions are not just for your benefit. In other words, God doesn't want us to be a reservoir where he pours in the wealth and the riches, the material, monetary blessings. And it's a, we are a reservoir and it's all for ourselves to hoard. No, God wants us to be a river, a channel where it comes in one way and we now disperse it. We are a vessel of a channel to be a blessing with what he gives us. That is the idea behind this verse. We are to be used to build the kingdom of God with the wealth that he gives us. So if Augur asked God not to give him poverty nor riches, then what does he ask God for? Well, we come to his third request. Lord, do give me daily bread. We see this request in the very last part of verse 8 where he says, feed me with the food you prescribe for me. Now, this sounds like another prayer that we're more familiar with, the Lord's Prayer. In fact, in Matthew 6, 11, Jesus says in this model prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And so when Augur prays this prayer, he does not come to God arrogantly, but he comes humbly, he comes submissively, understanding that he is totally dependent upon God for his provisions in life. Which brings us to the reason Augur asks this request. 
If I live in contentment with God's provision, I will learn to depend on God then. Oh, that we, like Augur, would simply pray, Lord, give me my daily bread. That we would learn to depend on God and live in contentment with His prescribed provisions for our life. Now, I want you to hone in on that word prescribed. That is a key word. Some of your translations may even have the word allotted. It has the idea that God knows. You say, what does God know? He knows our every need, and therefore He prescribes the exact provision to meet our daily needs. Now, to help us understand that a little better, those of you that are parents, you fully understand this. Especially with little kids. Even up through grade school and middle school years. Because as parents, we have a responsibility. And we allot to our children, we prescribe to our children what they need in life. We, as parents, we know better than them what they need, right? If, if we let the kids tell us what they need, we'd be feeding them candy and Non-stop. We'd be giving them things they don't necessarily need, yet they're asking for it. But yet, parents, we have the wisdom and wherewithal to prescribe to them what it is they need. And through that process, we are teaching our kids, you need to trust mom and dad. You need to trust us in what we provide for you. And in the moment of trusting that, in the process of trusting that, you also need to be content with what we provide for you. You need to be grateful for what we provide for you. Now, take that, and you just overlay it to us as God's children, and God as our Heavenly Father. And it's the same principle. God knows better than us what we need. And he prescribes it. He allots it. The question is, do we trust God's daily provision? Contentment is satisfaction with God's sufficient provision for my life. This is why Hebrews 13.5 says, Stay away from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you, I will never leave you. But to be content with God's provision means I must also learn to trust God for His daily provision. Philippians 4.19, it reminds us, Paul says to us, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The question is, it always comes down to this do you want to trust in the riches of, his, of this world or in the riches of God? Are you going to trust in your ability to provide for your needs or in God's ability to provide through Christ Jesus? All of the things that Augur's prayer shows us about him, the primary thing that it shows is that he considered something far more valuable than what we tend to. Do you realize... What we learn in this prayer, what we see in this prayer, is that he considered his relationship with God to be the most important focus of his life. 
Agor did not desire riches. In fact, he feared the riches would destroy his relationship with God. And the only reason he asked God not to send him into poverty is that he feared poverty might make him dishonor God's name. And so amazingly here, Augur's concern, it was not for himself. It was not for his own personal comfort through material wealth or the lack thereof. Rather, his concern was his relationship with God because he considered that to be far greater value. Let me ask us here. Do you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? That would be the first question to evaluate. Are you a Christ follower? Have you humbled yourself, opened your heart up to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, to save you from your sins and to forgive you, and let him grant you the gift of eternal life? And if so, how valuable do you consider your relationship with God? Do you consider it more valuable than the things of this world? It's the key to living in contentment. Think about it. God considered a relationship with you so valuable that he did what? He gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for our sins. That's what he thinks of you. Christ's death on the cross is the supreme demonstration of God's love for you. God, in fact, has modeled for us this grace of generosity by giving us His Son, Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that we now, as Christ followers, that we remind ourselves of this gospel generosity is here in the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of God's generosity. We're reminded of Christ's sacrifice in our salvation. And so here in a few minutes, when we come and we take the bread and we take the juice and we eat that bread and we drink the juice, we are reminded of Jesus' sacrifice and the cost of our salvation. And we're reminded of what He did for us that allows us to have this life in Him, this hope in Him, in this eternal life. And while we're here on this earth, to live a life of contentment. And our response to all of this ought to be gratitude. It ought to be thankfulness and contentment with the provisions that God has provided us. Not just the material provisions, but the provision of his body, his life on the cross and his resurrection, and what that provides us for all eternity. Let's bow our heads, and let's take a few moments here to prepare our hearts for communion. The music's going to play, and, and I just want us to take a few minutes here to bow our heads and, and to pray to God and just kind of take time to reflect and prepare your own heart. Perhaps you know of, of sin in your heart that you need to confess Maybe give thanks, maybe just ponder and contemplate, think upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ here with his death on the cross and what it provides for you.
Lord, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you that we can worship you. We thank you that we can respond in this manner. We thank you for your generosity in the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. The sacrifice of your sons in the salvation that he provides for us through his death and resurrection. And so as we come to this time of communion, Lord, help this to be a reminder for each and every one of us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. The music's going to play just for a few minutes. <laughs>